July 11th, 0700 hours. We have won a victory against the flies. When we changed the bait in my traps from jam to honey, we caught three within one day, proving once and for all that you really do capture more flies with honey. Also, flypaper. That may have caught a few flies too. But this battle can still be won. Welcome back to the Exploration Medicine Podcast. My name is Dana Levin. What you're about to hear is a record of my experience as part of the Institute for Nautical Archaeology's expedition to excavate the Western Antalya wreck. This merchant ship sank over 4,000 years ago during the mid to late Bronze Age, while carrying cargo likely from the island of Cyprus to unknown ports in the northwest. Over the next two months, we'll follow these experiences as they were recorded in real time, edited only for sound quality to protect the identities of participants and the location of the wreck itself. Today was spent repositioning the ship to allow us to lower the phone booth to the sea floor. Once we accomplish this, which largely involves pushing the Virazone 2 around from the dinghy, we'll decide if lowering the phone booth and positioning it will happen today. The waves are a little bit too rough, but we'll see what it looks like a little bit later. 1400 hours. It wasn't to be. The, uh, the waves are too rough today to safely lower the plates, so we'll have a good idea of positioning for the next attempt, but we're going to hold off for the rest of the day and play it safe. July 12th. We decided to return and spend today moored near Adrasan. I spent the daylight swimming around the limestone cliffs across the bay with some of our Turkish counterparts, and then free climbing these cliffs to sit on a small ledge about 15 meters up and read a Clive Kusler novel. Somehow that seems fitting for the present events. In the evening, the Turkish students invited me to join them in the small seaside town, our captain drove the Zodiac across the smooth, pitch-black waters filled with darkness-obscured boats. Apparently, mooring lights are not a common practice in this part of Turkey. We made several last-minute sharp turns to avoid ramming into these darkened ships, but otherwise made it to the shore uneventfully, and we ended up at an open-air restaurant where we listened to Turkish music and talked about diving and our experiences. I learned that all of these students are studying either art history or archaeology, and most of them are master's students. The four students nearest to me were a man from Antalya who was very glad to have a doctor on the expedition, another man from Istanbul who originally wanted to be a pilot, but instead ended up becoming a diver when he didn't pass the exam. The woman across from me was from Izmir and lived primarily in Marseille. She spoke five languages fluently, and the woman across from her is working on designing a digital model of ancient Mediterranean sea trade to allow people to visit ancient seaports all along the Turkish coastline in a digital scape, or virtual reality. In general, I think it's important to bond with all members of the expedition. Even though I'm based on one ship, injuries are not limited to that vessel alone, and the Turkish students can just as easily require my services as any of the Americans or Turks on board my ship. It's also true that the doctor, being the member of the crew who is able to take you off of diving duty, represents a threat to the people there who are primarily there because they love diving. So if you become friends with them, they begin to trust you a little more, and we're more willing to approach you with medical issues that can keep them safe and healthy while they're diving. So these opportunities to bond together are not just fun experiences that you have with new friends. They're also part of the expedition doctor's repertoire in getting to know your crew and helping to keep everyone safe and healthy. 
Once the winds died down a bit, we returned to the site, and we are again out of comms range. Over the next few days, we continued setting up the excavation site. The most intensive part of this was building the phone booth itself. As I mentioned earlier, this is essentially two heavy steel plates with a transparent half dome, big enough for two people's heads to fit inside. The dome is secured by chains to the four corners of these metal plates, and the first step was positioning Virazon 2 to position our A-frame lifting crane at the stern of the ship over the sand ledge below where we wanted to position the phone booth. This involved pushing Virazon 2 around with the Zodiac, while carefully managing the mooring lines to avoid losing our station or accidentally running the ship into the rocks. Once in position, though, we lowered the plates down with divers to guide them into a rough position and ensure they didn't fall off into the canyon below. But between identifying the site, positioning the cinder blocks, and setting the plates onto the ledge, we consumed all 40 minutes of bottom time for the day and our four active divers, so we had to wait until the next morning to resume construction. That night, after the dive, with the Archeo moored up alongside us, we continued another time-honored tradition of the high seas, singing. One of the Octanese University students owns a club in Turkey and brought his guitar along on the, on the expedition. We played a mix of Turkish, American, and British tunes from the classic rock era up to today. So my debut on the Turkish stage was Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby One More Time. This was followed by Guns N' Roses, Tom Petty, Led Zeppelin, and several others. So since then, a fair amount of time has been devoted to finding and rehearsing new songs for a later show. Over the next few days, we completed positioning the phone booth plates, set up our decompression trapeze, assembled the airlift pipes, which are essentially underwater vacuums, deployed our diver recall communication system, and placed marker stakes for our digital mapping software to use in assembling a 3D plot of the site. Our hired trimix divers also made their deep dive down to 110 meters and took videos to survey for any obvious signs of further debris from the wreck. So far, nothing was found. As a point of interest though, a recreational diver is typically considered experienced after about 50 dives. Dive instructors need at least 100 to start training and often have many more than that. Personally, I've logged around 600 dives, which amounts to somewhere around three weeks of my life spent underwater. In most circles, I am considered a highly experienced diver. However, the most experienced of our commercial divers has over 30,000 hours underwater, not including chamber dives, so that's nearly three and a half years of his life spent in the underwater world. And the way he puts it, that's not uncommon in the tech diving and commercial diving world. He's actually experienced the bizarre Parkinsonian-like symptoms of the newly identified high-pressure neurologic syndrome. We don't know much about this, but at extreme depths, like over 300 meters down, some divers seem to experience tremors, slowed movements, and, and other bizarre neurological symptoms. Since most of these seem to occur while using helium gas mixtures, the current theory is that high concentrations of helium interfere with basal ganglia function. However, we have very few patients who've experienced this, and even less clinical data from them. It's another extreme environment mystery waiting to be solved. But in any case, it's a special kind of character that dives to these extreme depths, as it often requires a week of decompression time before returning to the surface world. In our diver's case, he described one of his earliest experiences as a child, where he would force himself to hold his breath underwater as long as he could. His record was six and a half minutes, sometime in his early teens. 
He says he would have held it longer, but as he tells it, he passed out and woke up on the beach with lifeguards doing CPR on him. Apparently, his reaction to this was to learn scuba diving so that he could stay longer underwater. Like I said, a special breed of people. Here's what the three of them had to say. So you guys, you guys ready? Yeah. I'm going to give you one of these because I think that you're going to probably be more useful than all right, so who are you guys? What are your names? What are you guys doing? My name is Ömer Salih Aslan uh, from uh, Sinop University, commercial diver, academic, and whatever. My name is Rasim Yashar Tarakçı. Uh, Sinop University, commercial diving uh, department. department. He just retired from that program. My name he is was Boreibolu, commercial diver, dive instructor, Sinop University. And my name is Tuba Ekmekçi. I am the director of Institute of Nautical Archaeology, Bodrum Research Center. Now I'm serving as interpre interpreter or translator. 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 Commercial diving is the using the same technique, same job on the surface, all the construction, business, infrastructure job doing underwater. This is commercial diving. So what are you guys doing on an archaeological expedition? Uh, they only do in the deep waters that normal archaeologists, uh, nautical archaeologists cannot work that much deep. They are recovering or discovering if there's any objects, artifacts from belongs to shipwreck. They are finding them and leading the archaeologists and guiding them if they can work in that, in that depth or not. So why, when you say that it's deeper than normal nautical archaeologists go, because most of the time when I picture archaeologists, they're digging stuff up on the ground. I figure any water is, is deeper than they can go. So why, what makes your depths deep enough? Or what makes them too deep? Uh, normally, the archaeologists can or do work between 50, maximum 60 meters depth. Uh, but they are going as their hobby. They are also searching for very new, very late uh, shipwrecks, modern shipwrecks, and they are going 110, 120 meters deep for their hobby. But the commercial dives, it's really very deep as a part of their job. But usually the archaeologists, if they if they need to work in deeper than 60 meters, usually they are work, uh, using robots or the other stuff. But human archaeologists can dive maximum 60, but they go even double. They double this depth. So then, so what? What are the what are the problems that you encounter going that going that deep? Why is that so much more dangerous than the 50 or 60 meters that normally archaeologists do? It's just as he said before, it's part of the training and then also the knowledge about the mixture of the gas to work that deep and if you mix wrong, 
that you can be dead. So that's why it's the part of their training. Education is very important to know the technology of deep diving. And archaeologists usually spending time to learn to do archaeology, not the technical part of the diving. So that's why it's not possible for us to go that deep. Uh, yes, robot maybe. It's an easy solution and a good solution to use it, but the cost of having robot or use the robots is not easy. And that's a whole other training thing you need to learn how to do. And I want to say also my personal opinion that robots cannot have the human eye and the brain, so they can't see the details or careful as human can do. The narcosis is a problem. Normally people can get narcosis around 40 meters. And they can also, they said that they can also have the narcosis in 60, 70 meters, but the mixture of their narcosis is important, the gas they are using. And the important thing, human, they have to uh, clear their brain, their mind. Their physiology is the main point of their dive. So yes, robots can do lots of things, but human is can do different things. So when you're talking about narcosis, that's generally from the nitrogen that you're breathing in the air. So what what mixtures are you using at these depths to limit that? Three mix. They are using three mix. Three mix. Trimix. Nitrogen, oxygen, helium. Uh, oxygen for oxygen uh, toxicity. And uh, besides uh, the trimix, they are nitrogen. also using different gases on okay. their way up, uh, uh, just to shorten their decode time. So, and they are reaching their gas mixture with oxygen, more oxygen, and large of oxygen. Uh, the, uh, more oxygen they are using, and then because otherwise, so uh, they have to stay very long decode stops. So that's why they are not only using trimix, also different gas they are using the way up. Different gases at each depth that you go. Nitrox. Uh, nitrox. So you use trimix at depth, nitrox in the middle, and then oxygen at the surface. Yeah. Oxygen, all nitrox, nitrox, nitrox. Gotcha. Okay. So like, how long do these dives take? It depends how long they stay at the bottom. So it makes all the difference about timing. Bora is uh, planning all their dives about depth, deep time, and so he can answer this question. So if it goes wrong, it's your fault. Their planning is very important, uh, and Bora is doing it. Uh, they are trying to maximize their entire diving time, including deco stop, because their tanks are limited. So based on the tanks, so that's why they are really carefully planning their dives. And then because, but usually now they are their shortest dive, including deco stops, one hour, 45 minutes around this they call it it's a short dive. For example, they are giving a, mm, they plan a dive for 90 meters, four minutes going deep, 
going down time. In 10 minutes bottom time and the rest is the deco time. And they are using different gas mixtures in their deco. In total, this entire dive is one hour, 45 minutes. So it's almost two hours of time underwater for 10 minutes of actual work time. Yeah, yeah, Ömer said yes. Bizim en büyük sıkıntımız hava şartları akıntı. The weather condition and the underwater current, their biggest problem. Bora is not getting that much port because usually he's doing videos or picturing and something in the deco. Oh, they are even playing cards in the deco time. Then it becomes a lot less. It's just downtime. You get to relax a little bit. This is with experience all these years, and also, so they know how much air they can consume, and also they know the pressure. And because of the, that pressure, according to that pressure, they are calculating all their air needs. So with that much air, so without any problem, they are coming to surface. And all their calculation is also for extra air, not minimum level. Their last dive, they went to 65 meters, and all their tanks filled with 200 uh, bar and, uh, and when they came out they only used the 90 bar of this 110 were still in their tank how long was that dive? Oh, yeah. 17 minutes dive, depth uh, bottom time that's pretty good I can't do that wow super when when he was younger and teaching at schools he was just going with this pony bottles tiny bottles and the students making a joke that normally he doesn't have a lung he has gills but he didn't want them to understand so that just for show he has <laughs> using this tiny tanks and Bora has a memory with Yashar his teacher when he was assistant of Yashar about because they are diving in Black Sea in Black Sea 40 meters is incredible dark so you can't see anything so they are just following the bubbles to see the other bodies or anything, Sambora is continued that their story. Uh, as I said that they were following the bubbles, they can't see each other, but the first bubble was coming from Yashar, it's 20-25 meters, and the second bubble was coming 40 meters, and so it's impossible for them to follow their bubbles, so the two assistants were taking students down and they were always coming out from different points because they can't find Yashar following his bubbles because he's not breathing. <laughs> Why? Because when he started diving early 70s, the spine and equipment, it was not that easy. So he knows that when he was working patching, metal patching or welding under the ships or boat that he was using uh, he was not using scuba five six minutes self-breathing so apparently that's why his breathing lungs are so you would do not you human were, you weren't size. using scuba you were just doing free dives to do the work when he tried to hold his breath for six and a half minutes he was half dead so <laughs> he, it was he was almost dead uh, heart stopped beating but it was uh, 
practice in the pool, so they took him out. <laughs> so you were diving in a pool, held your breath, drowned, and the only reason you're still here is because they pulled you out of the pool and revived you? Don't do that here. <laughs> very sorry. All right, a couple other questions for you then. So, just some very basic stuff. How many dives do you? Uh, Yashar is registered. Uh, dives over thirty thousands, only registered. But he has also lots of unre unrecorded dives. He has because forty-eight years he's been diving. Uh, Bora is the most sexy, most fresh one in the three, and uh, he said. Uh, four, four thousand hours plus. Uh, Omar didn't count exactly because he was also doing saturation dives and everything. So he spent hours, half a day or a day in this chambers as saturation diving. So he said that last time when he needed to collect the paperwork, so it was a big, very tall file folder but he doesn't know the exact numbers. A lot. A lot, yes, a lot. Gotcha. And what's the deepest depths that you guys are reaching? Where, what's, what's how, how far down have you gone? Usually, huh, they die, normal air, not trimix, that they usually work in 90 to 100 meters. And sometimes just with the air for trying to die, they went 100 meters deep but they never recommend or advertise it to their students or anything. They are doing it for job, for commercial dives, and only with their team or for their job, they do it. They don't even tell this. They don't even brag about this, that they are going 90 or 100 meters with air. Gotcha. Well, with with so, Trimix, what's the uh -huh. deepest? Overall, the deepest you've ever gone? Not deeper than 100 meters, uh, because they, they are going for divers. Yes, uh, his deepest dive with the air, normal air is 100 meters, and his buddy was an uh, American soldier from Hawaii, they went down together, when he was up 35 meters he saw that his buddy was crawling at the sea bottom, so he dove again and took him out, so with air trimixle, uh, 100 meters, 100 meters. Bora, son? Wow, Bora said that I am not as brave as the others, so my uh, maximum death is 75, 70, 75 meters. Still braver than me. <laughs> oh, yeah, he said that when we were young, we did lots of crazy things that we shouldn't have done uh, because after 60, 65 meters, it's so easy to get the oxygen oxidation poisoning, toxicity, uh, and there is nothing you can do about that. So we have done some, you know, some things. Ben bunu şöyle özetliyorum. Biz doğal seleksiyonla hayatta kalanlarız. He's summarizing their situation that with natural selection they are still alive. <laughs> I think they call that luck. Chance, buna şans derler diyor. Training, higher, What does it feel like? when you're down there like what is that at 100 meters or 75 meters what does it feel like they always have fear uh, because it's also impossible to avoid this narcosis effect then 
but knowing your own body, your own reaction with diving is the most important thing. And some of his friends, they don't go even deeper than 70 meters, but some of friends off the record, they just got the normal air tanks and just go 120 meters and up. So knowing you and also your react, your body anatomy is very important, the key point, but always they feel the narcosis easily 60 but as Yashar does if when you go fast for 80 meters narcosis effects are you are eliminating a lot of most of it or getting later you are delaying postponing this effect but but it's unavo unavoidable this effect so when you work in that depth uh -huh. another important point the best solution is to program or plan your dive, what you are going to do, and memorize in your brain, like computer RAM system. And then you dive, so even you lost your conscious, still you can do it. But it's not always the case. You can also lost everything too. It's, it's not, never guaranteed, but at least if you program your brain, then even you lost your conscious narcosis, you can you may still do the job you're supposed to do in this depth. Bora says, and also the others agree, that he said that how he feels that he feels happy and very excited. He's having fun in this depth, uh, but also when they are diving, especially for exploration, to find something new. And the first time to see this, it's incredibly exciting. So they really enjoy it and also the others uh, join this thought too. Sometimes they know that they scream when they find something, explore, discover something new that they are screaming underwater. And their last time together with Trimix, they went to 70 meters and they were trying to find an airplane. But unfortunately, they went down a complete 50 meters off the airplane side, but exactly at the middle of a new shipwreck that it was not discovered so they were so happy and excited so that's where they were screaming. Bora was following behind them and when he saw the silhouette of the shipwreck because they were expecting to see the airplane silhouette he thought that maybe narcosis started so I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to see so just as a proof so he started to record with his video and he thought that I'm going to check it later. If there's nothing in the video, I'm not going to share this anymore. But if there's a real shipwreck that is, he's, he was going, he's supposed to share it, but of course they all discovered the shipwreck, so they were so happy. Well, I'm glad you're not crazy. <laughs> in Black Sea, they are diving in Black Sea, their environment is incredible dark. And especially in the winter time is because the visibility they prefer to dive in winter time in Black Sea and it was completely dark. All right, I got I got one more question for you guys because we'll we're running towards the end of time. But do you have any any particularly scary experiences or things that you really like learned a lesson from while you were underwater or a particularly like a particularly cool experience that you think is worth would be worth sharing? Every single dive is 
fun and new excitement and also every single dive is also new learning experience for them. Yashar says. Ben birçok spor yaptım. Yashar said that he did lots of different sports in his life but underwater is his um given up am I making up this word? So he can't give up underwater. Baba, their biggest regret is to teach him how to swim at five years old and he's with water. His father was keeping his heart the pills together with him because he was doing with holding his breath and diving and everything so he couldn't have lunch since then and he refused to go to sea with him after that. He said that Usually I feel fearful and which and he believes that you must feel fearful because this fear makes you feel more cautious and then helps you to return the one you loved. Uh, when you have, yes to feel exciting excited very important but when as Omar said that when the fear started you know you're knowing your limit and then return it and not pushing it to the key point so also he was saying that in old days because the equipment was a big problem they didn't have BCDs or they didn't even have gauge so they didn't know how much air in their tank so when the tank is finished they were pulling the cord for the reserve part which they knew that they have 50 bars so that's when they were coming up and even the filling tanks was a big problem that they were sending another city another province to send in a week their tanks were coming in early 70s so it was not that much easy even sometimes they were forgetting to close the reserve part so they were going down the reserve is open so they use entire tank and then so it was yes they had this type of some incidents okay well don't run out of air that's the lesson there huh uh, <laughs> all right well thank you guys very much as i said special people in any case that's it for this episode and i'll get back in touch with you shortly Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Exploration Medicine Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It helps us reach a wider audience. We'd also love it if you would subscribe to our email list so we can update you directly when we post a new episode. Special thanks to our production team, Sultana Pefli, Jeremy Seeker, and Emily Stratton. Music is written and recorded by David Keogh. More information on each episode, including a comments board, is available on the website at explorationmedicine.com. And as always, feel free to reach out with questions, comments, corrections, thoughts, or anything else by emailing podcast at explorationmedicine.com. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.